Good morning, everyone. Welcome. This morning we are gathered for the holy, sacred occasion commemorating the manifestation of Sri Radha. Hmm? Rad Astami. And so we're going to speak shortly, briefly. And um, we will speak from Srimad Bhagavatam. What happened to your eye? Srimad Bhagavatam is, of course, the text that was embraced so closely through the heart of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And being given that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is all about Radha's love for Krishna, we can understand the Bhagavatam must also be about Radha's love for Krishna. But it is our particular lineage stemming from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that has brought this out in a way that has not been brought out before, although the idea um, is embedded, if you will, in the uh, ancient uh, text in seed form. The Bhagavatam itself is glorified by the other Puranas. They all are like valuable Gems with effulgences shedding light on the significance of the Bhagavatam. Um, amongst the 18 Puranas, it is called the Mahapurana. And it's Purana, it's, it's history, it's story, so to speak, um, is the story of the personality of the Godhead the, and, and, and in the full sense of the term because about that... Um, aspect that uh, side of the of, of the Godhead that um, um, corresponds with his heart. So Krishna represents the heart of the absolute. There are many different avatars, many different manif- divine manifestations, and so forth. But if we look at them objectively and appreciate all of which they embody and seek to express and share with us. We find in Krishna the heart of the Absolute. Here we find that Brahman has fallen in love and with Radha. This is an interesting concept. Um, and you know, and we don't find that in the Buddha, and we don't mean to slight him. He's a, he's a wisdom. Buddha, Buddha means wisdom. So he, for example, being a popular avatar, <laughs> if you will, in the world today, is appreciated for his wisdom. And the wisdom is that, of course, uh, Trishna, thirst, meaning desire, causes dukkha, suffering. So he was wise to conclude that to stop thirsting would bring an end to suffering. And um, so... 
good advice. But when we speak about Krishna, then we find Krishna is thirsting. So this is very complex. We're kind of going up the ladder theologically here to a more complex um, concept of the Absolute, which um, is represented here and there to one extent or another, as I say, by different descents of divinity in the world. What Buddha has represented is very profound, and we pay our uh, regards to that, and we embrace that as well. Hmm? But um, what uh, Krishna represents is is uh, is a development, if you will, on that same idea. In other words, if our thirsting and our desire is fostering our suffering, which means that attachment, which is what uh, desire is about, fosters suffering. We are attached to something and, and, and uh, it doesn't do what we thought it would and neither can we keep it, even if it did. So it, it inevitably transforms hmm? that which we embraced um, as an object of our uh, love and from which we thought we would derive some joy, happiness, and fulfillment is here today, but it's gone tomorrow. So along with the fulfillment that is attached to that particular object, hmm, we're left empty-handed. So material life is something like appetizer after appetizer being offered to us, the net result of which is indigestion. Hmm? The full meal never comes. And that indigestion, if you will, it comes from pursuing the, you know, the carrot of the prospect that just around the corner by the addition of one more thing in our life will be fulfilled. That indigestion is the karmic kind of implications of life that put us into, if you will, negative numbers. I've used this example before. Negative numbers in comparison to zero. If we compare to zero to negative numbers, zero has positive content. So the Buddha is offering a zero of positive content. <laughs> but our, the question is, are there any positive numbers then to develop on? Having emptied ourselves out of all material desires and becoming peaceful, is there anything to do? Thereafter, is there any movement that might arise out of the fullness hmm, that becomes possible by emptying ourselves out of the emptiness of material desire? Hmm? And Krishna speaks to us about that, yes. Hmm? And so here we find a longing and desire <laughs> exhibited in the, in, in, the, in the person of Krishna, but what is the nature of that? Hmm? If we could long for the absolute and become even attached to the absolute in the way that a young girl, for example, becomes attached to a young boy, such that even with logic and reasoning, you try to get in between that as to why it's not a good fit. The force of that attraction will override and uh, over any hurdles, remove any obstacles of reasoning or logic or good sense that we may put 
um, seek to put between the young man and the young girl. They'll only increase it. So this is a material example uh, that speaks to us of the intensity um, that the person of Radha's love for Krishna and Krishna's love for, for Radha is about. If we are to look at something very in, in, intense in our life that nothing can get in the way of, it's something like this, the force of lust, love. Hmm? Of course, if this love and, is reposed in the absolute, then it becomes a kind of a transcendental lust, if you will, to lust for the for the uh, supreme. It's not a lusting in in, in a sense that lust is a, is a pursuit of one's own satisfaction. It's a reverse out where we pursue the satisfaction of the absolute only. Hmm? This is love, and this love then is such that it 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 expresses itself on every level universally to every living being, but has its focal point um, on the absolute. And Krishna is the personification, if you will, of the absolute that that we can repose that kind of loving propensity on, that that tendency. That's what he kind of represents, if you will, a particular expression of the absolute. I like to call it the heart of the absolute, the romantic heart of, of, of the Godhead, hmm? inviting us into every relationship. Is it, is it intense as, as, a, as a romantic one between those who uh, don't even think it out, so to speak? It speaks about a kind of love that's beyond thinking. We are thinking about it here, and that's important. We have to think about it. It is wise love. But the point that we're making in thinking about it is that this love of Godhead that Radha exhibits uh, embodies for Krishna takes her beyond thinking, beyond the calculation that I should love because it's the right thing to do. It's automatic. It's spontaneous. We call it rag. Rag means literally attachment. So it's a, it's kind of the flip side or the reverse out of material life. Attachment for the absolute makes us mad makes us deal with the absolute in a way that we would think otherwise we shouldn't. <laughs> this is Krishna. <laughs> so, <clears throat> this Chaitanya then, Sri Chaitanya, was, is, is understood in the lineage to be the appearance of Krishna pursuing the experience of Radha's love for him. Hmm? Very extraordinary. Seeing that, that in her, uh, a love is embodied that he doesn't have access to, he wants to taste that and incarnates, if you will, or manifests as Chaitanya, the Krishna in pursuing the bhava, the ecstasy of Radha, to taste himself from her uh, vantage point. And in doing so, as I say, he embraced this book, the Bhagavat, and brought out in it the ideas that are found in the other sacred texts in seed form about the significance of the book, the text, amongst all the holy, the sacred texts and the Hindu canon, this Bhagavad is most uh, most rich. And th- those seed ideas of its significance are given in other Puranas, like Agni Purana, we find statements about it. Um, um, and... Uh, 
actually many of many of the different Puranas, it's again called the Mahaparana. But why and to and for what reason and so forth? This is all brought out in the uh, Chaitanya's uh, lineage. So he embraced the book, the Bhagavatam, like his own heart, and he is the divinity, Krishna, pursuing the love of Radha. So we have to conclude from him, observing him and understanding him appropriately, that this Bhagavatam must be about Radha's love for Krishna. I mean, it's about many things. There's 18,000 poetic verses, over 12 different cantos. It talks about creation, about cosmogony, cosmology, about all, all varieties of things, stories of kings and their kingdoms and losses and uh, um, mysticism of the, of, the, of the yogis and Shiva's meditation and gods and goddesses and uh, all types of things. But what's it really saying? What's it, it's essentially, it's, it's message. Hmm? It's a difficult uh, book to sort out. It's the genesis of it is the, the samadhi of Vyas. Samadhi danusmrata he was told. Hmm? Vyas had compiled, like an editor, with the help of a staff, all this Vedic wisdom. Hmm? And this is then to be shared with the public, right, for their upliftment. This is the revelation, if you will, then kind of put it into a, into a, into a literary form, which is difficult because it, 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 it um, transcends language and reasoning and so forth and, and so on. It was, it, the texts are written in many different languages. They're written like a, like a friend to a friend, like a, like a king to his servants, and like a lover to a lover. In the case of Bhagavatam, we find all of these different languages that are that particular texts outside of the Bhagavatam are are um, um, written in, so to speak, in that spirit. So, the, an effort to uh, to speak about the nature of um, divinity when it defies reason, when it and it transcends words, and so forth. So. Um, when we come to the Bhagavad, it's all in poetry, practically. A language, a participatory kind of language that makes, that not makes more, but brings the more out, if you will, in life. Uh, mind, math is a descriptive language. Mind wants to analyze and contain things, control things, and... Bhagavatam wants to say to us, it's not controllable. We should try to speak about it in poetry. It's, it's beyond, and uh, we can participate in it hmm? and be controlled, if you will, by it. Hmm? And it's friendly and, and thereby know it in a way that we could not otherwise. So it's language hmm, in which it describes the Godhead hmm, as Radha and Krishna it's very, very um, interesting. These are stories, but um, they're real stories. Hmm? They're real stories because they are the ways in which great the realizer Vyas, in his trance, he was despondent after writing all the other literatures. He felt he hadn't done justice 
to to the whole to, to speaking about it. So Narada came to him and said, "Well, this is why because you haven't directly emphasized uh, bhakti, the heart yoga, if you will." And so he said, "Go, you're qualified. Sit in samadhi and." With my blessing, and write about what comes from that. So, Samadhi Nanu Titam, he said, in all these things, this story of Radha and Krishna came to him, and he wrote about it then, poetically. What other language would he use? He's writing about the heart of the Absolute, and, and, and that way he writes about it, the way he envisions it, the way he experiences it, is a story that transcends what's possible within our frame of mental reference. So when you read about it, we think, well, it's just a story, you know, it's got a meaning to it, and the story itself can be disposed of. Yes, it has a meaning to it, that we are to draw from it, but if we understand and embrace the meaning, we will also have the experience that Vyas had of the story. Hmm? We'll enter into a poetic land where impossible it's not one of the words in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. Hmm? This is the idea. So it is a book written in samadhi, written in bhava. What is bhava? Hmm? People ask me sometimes, did Krishna really exist? Did he really do all those things that are impossible? Obviously, it's just a story. Hmm? <laughs> well, does prem exist? Does bhava exist? Does love of God exist? You cannot have prem like it was embodied in Chaitanya, who simply took the name of Krishna and fell in a swoon of ecstasy. And tears poured from his eyes like rain on those around him. What is that, then? Hmm? It's prem. And if there's prem, which is love, there must be a corresponding object of that love. Hmm? That is Krishna, Radha Krishna. Hmm? It's a duad, if you will. Hmm? Radha Krishna must be. It's a reality. It's a reality of bhava and bhava. That is not an imaginary thing. The world of our mind is an imaginary thing. <laughs> it's a small thing. It's very shallow. It's very uncomfortable, and we think others should be comfortable living within it, even though we are not. This is false. <laughs> this is a, this is imaginary kind of uh, existence in the world of bhava. This is this is the real world. So Krishna Leela is is real, and we want. And we someone may think, well, it's a, yes, maybe, but it's a little sectarian. It's also about India, you know, the ta- Leela's, you know, all these things that are talked about in Leela they have all Indian type of connotations. So why don't we look at it as? Well, this is a cultural filter through which the whole thing comes. Beyond that, it's just can't say anything about it. Different religious traditions and mystics talk about it, and they experience it through a particular cultural filter, and then talk about, and then you get these stories and so forth. But because if they're genuine, these mystics, they all have to be experiencing the same thing, and so. Reality must be beyond the stories. And there's no story there. It's just quiet. Om Shanti Shanti. But there's another way to think about that. Hmm? Krishna himself in the Gita says, Jejatamam Prapadyante. 
Tam Sataiva Bajami Ham. As they approach me, I reciprocate accordingly. So why can't the experience of the Leela be the reciprocation of the Absolute, which is substantial and spiritual and of an eternal nature that corresponds with the nature of the approach? In India and in the Chaitanya lineage, for example, uh, based on 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 the implications of the Bhagavad, there's a particular approach that's mentioned. Hmm? And in India, in, in Hinduism, we have many different approaches to the Absolute. Even within Vaishnavism, within the Bhakti tradition, there are many different approaches. And we, we say that there are many different faces then of Bhagwan that correspond with that approach. Many different experiences of Bhava and eternal stories and experience of the Leela and so forth. And this can very well be extended beyond the the Vedic kind of worldview. Although India is the mother of religion on earth, that should be clear. And the more you look, in my experience, at any mystical tradition, whether it be Christian or Islamic, for example, the Sufis, the Christian mystics, um, um, to name a couple, anyway, uh, um, from the West, those are the main ones, the, the more... Uh, or even if you look at Native American and so forth, if you look at the real, you know, mystical kind of side of it, the more it seems to go east. It's a fact. Hmm? If you look at mystical Christianity, you find, oh, they start to c- contemplate possibility of reincarnation, and uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an emphasis on consciousness rather than hist- history. A history. Somebody came to earth, he was the son of God, you know, and gave moral codes and so forth. It's more about consciousness, the nature of being and so forth. This is the subject of the Upanishads, which is the earliest form of revelation in human society. Hmm? It's not the subject of the Bible per se, the nature of consciousness and being. That's not what's going on. It's not what's in the Quran, and that doesn't mean, I don't mean to slight these things. There are seeds in these texts hmm? that people have kind of gravitated to, serious people in those traditions, and and then tried to uh, grow, if you will, plant and grow. And they've had mystical experiences. And then when these mystical sides of these traditions start to speak about themselves, we start to find these parallels. With it. it starts to go eastward. Sufism is like Advaita and Islam, you know, put together and, and, and so forth. So India is the mother of religion. On earth, and it's about experiential spirituality. It's about the nature of consciousness, um, a huge and, and contemporary subject, if you will, which makes the books not old, dusty things that, that aren't relevant, but the language in which they speak about them and the perspective that, that it's spoken about from the perspective of experiencers is difficult for the Western mind to get its hand around in, in, for example, in a secular world, examining consciousness, where they have no experience of dimensions of consciousness of the mystics, hmm? which seem to say that consciousness is something more than, than matter, but that can't be. Hmm? It's thought in the secular world. We don't have empirical evidence for that. Hmm? And we have empirical evidence for so many other things we, that, 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 uh, that work for us, so let's go with that. Consciousness must be material. We just have to 
you know, demonstrated over time. It's just a trick of the brain. The brain tricks us into thinking we're somebody, but we're not. We're going to listen to that instead of the Bhagavatam. No, the Bhagavatam seeks to confirm our experience, our subjective experience, that we exist, and we exist as the more, if you will, more, that there's more to life than matter. There's more than what meets the eye, what we can discern with the senses. We sense this in human life. It's the soul of, of nature coming out in, human, in human, con- human form. Human body facilitates this consciousness, taking birth, so to speak, self-consciousness, self-awareness. Human life is characterized by, everybody admits that. What is that? Is it just an illusion? <laughs> Is it just a trick of the brain, or is it the more, and is there more, and so forth? So the Upanishads, the Bhagavad, the mystics, and so forth from the East, they're, they're speaking about consciousness from a subjective point of view, experience, that's a fact. And we may say, well, the subjective experience, we can't validate that, but if we look at the experience of the mystics, we find it's desirable, their experience, and we won't, we won't arrive at it unless we take their approach to it, Without taking their approach with it, having that experience, I heard a guy, a fellow, what is his name? Sam Harris. He's a famous atheist. He wrote a couple books in the last you know, few years. And he said that, yeah, we've examined this mystic in a cave, and he was having all these experience, you know, experience, but he didn't know what was really going on. In other words, he didn't know what was happening in his brain. This was lighting up and that was lighting up. And I thought, no, Sam, you don't know what's going on. <laughs> you should plug in there and have the experience, then come and talk to us. Mm-hmm. So the reason that these, uh, I mean, these books, yes, they posit something that someone will say we have to believe in, in a sense. And I don't want to, why shall I extend myself to believe in something that's beyond my experience? Then I go to faith, I go beyond reason. And the Western world is so like troubled by the need for things to make sense. Um, but actually, it is empirically based, the idea, in a sense, in a, in a, in a kind of in a more general sense. Again, as I said earlier, attachment, desire, causes suffering. That's empirically demonstrable. (laughs) The more you desire, the more you suffer. It can be demonstrated. Any honest person thinks about it. And so, therefore, there must be the implication is, well, or the distinct possibility is, stop desiring in relation to material things and suffering. Take it a little further. Happiness. To end suffering is not just is the sum of, not the end of it, but there may be joy. There may be ananda. Hmm? Um, so, I mean, this is just in a basic sense. We could talk about it more, but... Um, it's the, the again the, the the rishis they talked about their experience. Hmm. Uh, 
it's Vedanta it, it, is experienced um, based. Now, the description of the experience, what it is, you have to go there to experience it yourself. And we find other people go and they experience it also. Hmm? Now we go cross culturally, fine. So we're outside of India. We're in Islam. We're in Christianity. We're with the Christ, with the Muhammad, and so forth. Well, Bhaktivinoda Thakur writes in his commentary on on the Gita, where Krishna says, "Yada yada hi dharma siglanir bhavati bharata abhutanam taratmanam hmm? Krishna says, "I manifest again and again hmm, to establish dharma in the world." He says, this should not be, Bhaktivinoda says, this should not be thought to be limited only to India. Hmm? Yes, India is the mother, and we find profound manifestations of Krishna in different avatars, and so we're speaking about Dharma, and, and so on. But he said, outside of, uh, people are also pursuing, to one extent or another, and some manifestation, a Shaktyavesh avatar, an avatar, an empowered being, hmm? Appears and gives a, gives a, a, a doctrine, hmm? works with the people in their cultural setting, and then they approach, they apply themselves in relation to that. If they really apply themselves, they get a mystical experience. And then we have, you know, leelas that extend beyond the Vedic leelas. Why not? Hmm? So the experience then of the Western mystic that doesn't have any Shivas in it, you know, or or any incense, or maybe it does incense, I don't know, or other, other, it's not, you know, well, the diet's different a little bit, and so forth. Um, you have your, um, um, you know, they're not cooking chapatis there, and making hollow and all, but uh, um, if they're worth their weight, like Francis of Assisi, you know, they have respect for all living beings, they're not eating from the slaughterhouse and, and, and so forth. And they have some, who knows, you know, the Jesus um, Leela, the Muhammad, it's, this is the idea of Bhakti. And what I want to say is that there's another way of thinking about this idea that, that, well, if the mystic experience is one, we say, it's, of course, it's different. There's varied experiences within the absolute. Hmm? But the Leela is not a cultural Phenomenon relative to the fact that you're uh, born in India or you know Jerusalem or North America or wherever it is, it's the way in which the absolute is responding, and his response is bhava in the full sense of the term. The response of the God is that that Godhead you we approach through bhakti in a kind of a practice way. We don't have any bhava, any ecstasy, any love, but we. We follow those that do, and then then the God at a certain point reciprocates. That reciprocation is bhava. So that bhava, that swarup shakti, the ingress of that comes into our heart, and then we experience the absolute through that bhava and tell the story. But that experience is substantial. So leela is substantial. And here we find in Bhagavatam, what could be considered the full expression of the Leela, where the Godhead himself has fallen in love completely, the romantic life of the Absolute. So, hmm? so the, uh, the, 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 the texts have shed light, 
if you will, on the Bhagavatam in a seed form. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took those seeds and grew them and brought them to flower and, and fruit and explained the Bhagavatam. Excuse me, like no other lineage had up to date and brought it out for what it was as the Samadhi Bhasha, the language, Bhasha means language, of the Samadhi of Vyas, trying to speak about his entrance into the heart of the Absolute, experienced as the affairs of Radha and Krishna. So, therefore, in the Chaitanya Sampradaya, in the lineage, there's no shortage of reasoning and references and, I want to say, spiritual feeling for the that to substantiate the idea that the Bhagavatam is about Radha's love for Krishna. You'll find others say it's about Krishna, but we say in essence what it's about is the perspective of Radha on Krishna. Radha is the embodiment of the highest love, Mahabhav, Mahabhava Swarupini. Hmm? We have two things here. We have love, we have object of love. Hmm? These two together make what we call rasa. Rasananda, Brahman is rasa, ecstasy. So Radha embodies the full measure of love and corresponding with that love is an object of love. So the two, Radha and Krishna, are one and different. You can't have one without the other. You can't have the love without the object of love. You can't be an object of love unless there's some love <laughs> being directed towards you. So, Radha and Krishna are one, and therefore devotee, hmm, following in the, the 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 wake of the of the um, example and the ocean of the ecstasy of Radha's love, hmm, is one with Krishna, and Krishna is one with the devotee, but in a very dynamic way, hmm, not that. We become one, and we all individuals disappear, and so forth. But the one devotee, which is an, who is an embodiment of love, and the object of love become one in a loving kind of union. You and I in love become we. Doesn't mean you disappear. Doesn't mean I disappear. So it's a dynamic rather than a, a Dwayton would. The Dwayton School offers, for example, the idea of a static, what I would call a static union, a static harmonization of all the differences that arise from just the mind in the world that create the forms that we have now that are at odds with one another for one, to one extent or another. So to do away with all others is a kind of harmony. <laughs> there's, there's, there'll be no fighting there, but there's no one to, there's no one to fight with. And there's no love there either that there's no one to interact with. There's peace. There's the end of taking. That's a kind of love. But love is not just the end of taking. It's the beginning of giving and the full measure of giving. So this is what we find in Krishna Lila. And Radha embodies the full giver. Hmm? She's one with Krishna as is Shakti and different from Krishna at the same time. One and different. Hmm? This is the philosophy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Achintya Beda Beda, and this is what he brings out from um, the Bhagavatam. And as I say, it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a reading of the Bhagavatam based on Bhava. 
So here we go again. We'll think, well, now, you know, he's reading that into the verse. <laughs> you could say, the verse doesn't seem to exactly say that if we analyze every word and, and, and so forth. Now, the Godi people have been pretty good at showing how these words have many meanings and, draw, and, and substantiating from a grammatical point of view the feeling that the verse is giving to them. That's an academic exercise that they're kind enough to go through for those who need it, to be honest with you. But the fact that they're getting that feeling from the verse, that we should think that's extraordinary. What it's doing to them. I mean, how completely, how comprehensively that feeling that they get, for example, from the verse deals with the problem of material life. Their, their, their feeling exemplifies a, an attraction to the absolute that's so intense that there's no question of being distracted by the mind and the senses. Look at, for example, Radha in the Bhagavatam. At a certain point, Krishna appears to leave the village hmm, life and becomes a prince in Mathura and, and Dwarka. So she's living in separation from him. Hmm? Her and her, her friends. And so they try to forget about Krishna. It, they try to forget about him. Now we're trying to remember Krishna. The yogi is trying to put his mind on Krishna. Radha is trying to take her mind off of Krishna. Hmm? And it just goes further to Krishna. This is the, the measure of the intensity that is talked about and that the devotees experience. And so this is a, you can see what I'm saying is a very powerful and comprehensive to the problem of mind being distracted to temporary things and, and our, our you know, hearts going towards things that, that won't satisfy us and so forth. It's like if you wanted to solve a problem and you, you dug a hole and you put the problem in the hole. Hmm? And then you build a temple on top of that. And you enter into the temple. And so there's no question anything ever coming up again. Not only is the hole dug and the problem is in the hole and it's covered over, there's a temple on top, there's other positive activity going on there that makes that activity in the hole look like it should be in the hole. And it's never going to come out again. So the pava that they, that, that, that their their interpretations of the texts, these are the most valuable things. It's the ecstasy that they're drawing from them. My guru once called his commentary on the Bhagavatam "My Emotional Ecstasies." So we will find more wealth in that than the text itself. It's in the text, but they're bringing it out of the text in a way that we might not have been able to. And so in the context of this, they're finding Radha throughout the Bhagavatam, even though her name is never mentioned once. Hmm? That's a very interesting point. Her name is never mentioned once, but they're finding her everywhere. Hmm? There is one place in the Bhagavatam where her name is mentioned indirectly. Anayaraditu. And it happens to appear in the climax of the book, the apex of the book. The apex of the book, 12 cantos, 
is in the 10th canto, in the five chapters that discuss the consummation, if you will, in the Leela, in the divine play of Radha's love uh, for Krishna, Krishna's love for Radha, hmm? called Rasalila. Hmm? In that Rasalila, Krishna is surrounded by so many Brajsundari, so many maidens, milkmaidens, right? They, he played his flute, the autumn moon, the harvest moon, the romantic moon. They heard the flute, they heard their name and the sound of the flute. And they came, each of them. None of them waited for anybody else. They dropped everything they were doing. They left their milk boiling on the stove, their family responsibilities, everything. In the dead of the night, they went to follow that sound. They found others came too. They found their group that way who answered the call. Hmm? That's their group. That's the family. Hmm? And there, then, Krishna began to speak to them, and they spoke back, and then the dance began, and the relationship was consummated, and Krishna's dancing with so many gopis, and suddenly he disappears. And they're all looking for him. So they begin to follow his footprints. And as they follow his footprints, they find another set of footprints, female footprints. And they're following them and tracing them out and analyzing the footprints. They stopped here. He must have kissed her here. Look, she's up on her, on her, what do you say, toes, reaching up, you know. Here, they're absent. He must have picked her up here. Here they are again. They put her down there analyzing the footprints like this. They're Radha's footprints. Hmm? Chandravali who's that Radha's counterpart. All these Brajsundaris, what they are, these gopis are, they're Radha's love for Krishna manifest, aspects of it manifest individually. Hmm? Shades, nuances. Love has many nuances. Sometimes love is expressed in a dominant way, for example. They may be a dominant lover, or they may be a submissive lover. To just give some crude couple of examples. Hmm? So, Chandravali is like the submissive lover side of Radha, personified as a person. Uh, it's said that there are 108 some, some, some gopis. Of the, two, of, the, of the 108, eight are prominent. Of the eight, two are prominent. Radha and Chandravali. Of the two, Radha is prominent. And we find in the commentary of Bhaktivinoda that he says, analyzing these gopis, looking at the footprints, that this verse, Aniradito Nunam, which says, there is one gopi here, we see her in her footprints, and Aniradito Nunam, she must have worshipped him more. She must be the full expression of, of love. Hmm? Chandravali is saying it in the commentary, so we, say, we think, this is coming from a good source. <laughs> She's the other, you know. Principal Gopi in the milkmaiden in the Lila, she's saying it. It's a nice verse. Without going into it at length, I just want to mention it here in the context of making the point that Radha's name is not mentioned. It's mentioned Radha, Aradhana means to worship. So, Anayaradhito Nunam. She embodies the worship. She embodies the worship to the point that that it no longer becomes worship. Worship is like, here's the object of love, here I am, and then there's worship 
in between. The gap is bridged here between the worshiper and the worshipped and the worship. They're all making a union of love. Hmm? Radha has become, become one with Krishna. In the, she personifies the love that he uh, represents. Hmm? So she's not worshipping him. That arctic we do here, for example, this thing, this, this ritual, that's going on there. With her eyes, she does it like this, offering. And that's it. Very, in the Leela, all of these things are going on, but they're going on in a different way. It's a fact. And she's perspiring, and the wind comes, fans her, and then that fans Krishna. He's delighted by the fanning coming from Radha. And so the whole, the whole Leela, these descriptions, is all Bob. Everything is ecstasy. The wind is ecstasy. The clouds are ecstasy. When it rains, they're crying. Hmm? And, and so for all these, there's no need for sun, but there's a sun. It's part of the Leela. Hmm? So, so anyway, hmm? a very magical idea, if you will, a very magical land. And it's the magic of the heart of the devotee that's been ignited by bhava, the reciprocation from Bhagwan. And so with this, the devotees in the Chaitanya are reading the Bhagavatam and they're finding Radha everywhere. We read another reference this morning from the fifth chapter of the tenth canto, speaking about Krishna's birth and how the, it became a play, the place Brindavana was born became a playground of the goddess of fortune. This is an indirect reference to Radha. To call Radha the goddess of fortune. Goddess of fortune means Lakshmi. Lakshmi means like fortune, wealth. The goddess of wealth. Everybody wants her in their life. But she's only, in the Leela, she's only with Narayan. She's chased to Narayan. It means there's no wealth without Narayan, without God. We try to get wealth separately. Hmm. It's like trying to take Lakshmi from from Narayan, hmm. but she doesn't go for that. She's chased. She stays only with him. Hmm. The real wealth lies in loving him. Hmm. This is the real dhan, the real uh, real wealth, the real treasure, prem. Hmm. So. Hmm. But at the same time, as I say, to call Radha a Lakshmi is not to say very much. Because even in the Leela, the the queens in Dwarka are more um, becoming, if you will, and more beautiful. These are more developed manifestations of Shakti. Just like Narayan is a partial manifestation of Krishna for those who want reverential love. Krishna is the more in that more kinds of loving reciprocation can be experienced with uh, the, the, uh, uh, the person of Krishna. Hmm? So with Narayan is his Shakti, Lakshmi. If we go to Krishna in Dwarka, he's got the Shaktis, the queens. If we go to Krishna in Vrindavan, he's got the Shakti, these milkmaidens. And what does Rupa Goswami say? Radhe Jai Jai Madhava. Hmm? Radhe Jai Jai Madhava. Daite Gokul Taruni Mandala Mohite. Very wise, he said. He doesn't compare Radha to Lakshmi. 
neither to the queens of Dwarka. He says, Gokul Taruni, Moite. Amongst all the Gokul Taruni, Taruni means Taruni means girls, young girls. Hmm? So there are so many young maidens there, Gokul Taruni, and they all, Mohima, Radha. <laughs> they all offer their Mohima, the glorification of Radha. They are all, as I said, partial manifestations of Radha. Hmm? Hmm? So that she can so that she can satisfy Krishna with her bhakti collectively or individually with one aspect of herself completely. But he wants to taste that. Hmm? And at the same time, all of them together cannot satisfy him like her alone. Hmm? So, this book is about her love for Krishna. And the Gaudiyas are thrilled by this concept. Therefore, they say, if you go to Vrindavan, the place of Krishna, you won't find everybody saying, Jai Krishna. They're saying, Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe. Even the taxi drivers, the rickshaw bicycle drivers, you get on, they say, if they want your 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 fare, Jai Radhe, Jai Radhe, means victory to Radha. Vrindavan Ishwari, the Vrindavan, the place of Krishna. She is the Ishwari. Hmm? We say that most religions and spiritual traditions like to say that God is the most worshipable object and that we should be preoccupied with that. But we are teaching that we should be preoccupied with the object of God's love. That is Radha. So Radha's love, the Mahabhav, is so comprehensive that Krishna has to subordinate to it completely. Brahman. The great Brahman, the absolute that's everywhere, hmm? becomes small as Krishna, so to speak, or so it appears, hmm? and subordinates itself, himself, to that love, controlled like a puppet in the hands of Radha. So in the hands of Bhakti, the full measure of Bhakti, it means the absolute becomes completely controlled. Do you want to control the world? Don't try to control it with your mind or your physical force. Hmm? Mm. No, love, love the whole. Mm. Participate, love the whole. Mm. And as it said, no. If you love someone, they will tell you all their secrets. These are the secrets. Mm. The Gaudi people are telling these secrets from Bhagavatam about the love life of the absolute. Mm. If you love someone, they tell you the secret. The secret is love is the way, and love is the goal, also. But it should be wise love. That's the only qualification. Where to repose the love? Hmm? So this is what Bhagavad is about. And I'll give you an example now, and we'll end with this: of how the Godias saints have drawn, tend to draw from the Bhagavatam with their bhava from the texts. The, uh, uh, the idea that what it's all about is the love of Radha for Krishna. So we here go to the first verse of the Bhagavatam, 10th hmm? canto, or the first, can- first verse of the first canto. So what the book's about, you'd think, 
the first verse might say something about it, right? Just like if you're going to write a, 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 an essay, academic essay, you write an abstract first, what it's about, right? And then you're going to find a conclusion. It's also going to wrap that up and refer back to that. Hmm? So this first verse is the, is, the, is the abstract, actually the first three verses. Hmm? And what's found here in the first verse also comes at the end of the Bhagavatam as well. Hmm. One of the things in this regard that's found is the word dimahi. Dimahi is a Sanskrit, uh, very Sanskrit uh, Vedic form of uh, word form that wouldn't normally normally be found in a Purana. Hmm. Vedic Upanishads are a different type of Sanskrit than the Purana. The Puranas are kind of a breaking that down to make those truths more accessible. That the word dimahi here, which means meditation, it's in the plural, hmm, is a Vedic form of the word, which is a way, a covert way of saying that this Bhagavatam hmm, is the essence of the Shruti, of the Upanishads, of that form of revelation. It's going to explain it in greater detail. Dimahi is, it speaks about the means and the ends in itself. It means uh, it's in the plural, so it speaks kind of about plural meditation, like kirtan. Hmm? We gather together, meditate in a group, some kirtan, it's very some complete. And um, so it, it advocates satyam param dhimahi, meditation on, absorption on, the satyam param, the supreme truth. Here in the beginning, and at the end of the Bhagavatam. Hmm? You know, what is that supreme truth? Hmm? In other words, and the last verse of the Bhagavatam says, of course, so, perform Sankirtan. Hmm? So, uh, the book is about, this is the method, and this is the end. Kirtan is a means, and Kirtan in, in our school is an end also. We don't find that the, the inhabitants of Vrindavan are not doing Kirtan. They make such nice Kirtan about Krishna. Songs about his leelas, and they remember him, and so forth. And the cowherds are singing the names Ram and Krishna. Gopis are singing. It's Jiva Goswami described that realm as, Brahma Samhita says, that it is a place where Chintamani, Prakarasadmasu, Kalpa Bhikshalakshabhiteshu, Surabhir, Abhipalayantam. That um, it says, it is a place where the, all the walking is dance and the talking is song. And Jiva Goswami said, what must be the, talk, the, the, the dancing there then? What must be the song there? Hmm? This kind of kirtan, Golokar Premudhan Harinam Sankirtan, Mahaprabhu brought the wealth of Prem. It is the wealth of, of Golok, Goloker Prem Dhan. And he brought it through Harinam Sankirtan. Hmm. To the Kirtan of the name, the collective Kirtan of the name of Hari. Hmm. That wealth he's affording us. Hmm. This is Satyam Param Demon, this is Bhagavatam's advocate. You should do this. Hmm. You should do that, Kirtan. That's that, that, 
flute sound of Krishna. Hmm? That is the Gayatri from which all the sounds of the revelation expand. That Bhagavatam Gayatri Vashuruppo so is a commentary on the Gayatri. That flute sound hmm? that puts Brahma into meditation hmm? and so forth. That the gopis heard and they, they it, it drew them and they responded. Hmm? That appears in Chaitanya Lila as Kirtan. The drum is the flute. Krishna's flute becomes a mardangam in Gaurlila. In the Sankirtan, this is the assembly of Krishna and all those gopikas. So satyam param dimahi. And what? So then it is described. Janmadi asayataha. I will speak to you about Jiva Goswami's one of several explanations of this first verse of the Bhagavatam in brief to demonstrate this idea of how with bhava, with ecstasy, they're drawing from the words and supporting it to some extent grammatically as well. But this book is about Radha. The first verse says it completely. Janmadiyasayataha. That from whom... Hmm? Janma, that from whom there is the original manifestation, that from whom all things are coming, hmm? um, from whom the original manifestation has come. So, what do we have here? We have Radha Krishna Pranai Vigiti Ladini Shakti Rasmat Ekat Mano Api Bhuvi Puradeham Vedo Gato To Ekatma Ek means one. Srup Damara Goswami writes that Krishna is one eternally. What is the first movement then of the Absolute? Ekat Mano Api Bhuvi Deham Vedo Gato To The one becomes two eternally. This is an eternal present. Mm-hmm. It escapes, you know, our ability to talk and think about it. But the one is eternally one, and the one eternally becomes two. It's an eternal becoming. This Leela. Mm-hmm. Ed talk about becoming and the being, as if the being is the end of becoming. But we talk about the being as becoming eternally, eternally becoming. Prame is full. But it's always increasing. Hmm. So the one becomes two. What does it mean? The first manifestation. Krishna becomes Radha Krishna. Krishna is sweet like sugar. But sugar can't taste itself. So he manifests his Swarup Shakti Ananda. Hmm. In the form of Radha to taste. And then there's this reciprocal dealing. This dynamic unity. Hmm. So Krishna Radha is the original manifestation, and she represents Mahabhav, the full face of Rasananda, ecstasy, Mahabhav Swarupini. Hmm? So he says, that from whom the original rasa is coming, the Adi Rasa, hmm? that becomes possible by the manifestation of Radha and then the exchange between Radha and Krishna. Hmm? So let us meditate upon. Hmm? That hmm, original 
duad of, of Radha and Krishna, the genesis of rasa, the adi rasa. These two are the genesis of that. And rasa is what the life is about. In this world, in, in, we are all seeking the, 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 the emotional content, the feeling of the thing. That's what's making it go around. If you take that out, nobody has any impetus to do anything. The feeling, the juice, the taste, rasa. So, uh, let us meditate, he says, on the adi rasa, embodied as Radha and Krishna. Janmadhyasyataha anvayad itarataha cha. Anvayad means directly. Itarata means indirectly. Anvayad means that truth is directly Krishna. And indirectly it's Radha. Hmm? Itarata cha. These two together. Shaktiman, uh, Shakti and Shakti, the Shakti and and its 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 source, they're one and different. Hmm? If we talk about Krishna directly, we may know something about. It. We talk about Krishna from the perspective of Radha, how much more we will know. Anvayad hmm? itarata. They are manifest, we should meditate upon them, that source of the original rasa, who is Radha and Krishna, anbayad itarata cha, together. Hmm? Together, they're one and different. The whole of the Absolute is Radha Krishna. Hmm? And itarata cha swarat. Hmm? She is swarat. Not him. The general meaning is Krishna. It's about Krishna. He's Swarat, fully independent. She is Swarat. Because he is the supreme independent, but she is dependent. But he is dependent upon her. Vrindavaneshwari. Madan Mohan Mohini. Krishna is Madan Mohan. He bewilders Cupid. And Radha is Madan Mohan Mohini. She bewilders the bewilderer of Cupid. Hmm? In other words, Krishna, you bring Krishna into your life, Cupid's influence will go. Lust will go. Hmm? That's true. His Leela is called, with Radha is called Kamvijai, victory over Kam, victory over lust, even though it appears like the affair between a young girl and a young boy, which might be construed as lust, out of wedlock even. Hmm? It's called Kamvijai, that Leela that ends lust. So Krishna conquers over Cupid. It's a problem for us. Cupid is a problem. Cupid is called Ananga in Sanskrit. It means without a body. It makes him more difficult to trace out. Shiva was sitting in meditation and Cupid came to, to try to attract him, distract him, shoot his arrows. And Shiva got pissed. To use a, you know, speak in a local Mendocino vernacular. And... Uh, <laughs> and and he burned Cupid, this is the story, to ashes. So, but that only made him more difficult than, hmm? now he's invisible. Thanks, Shiva. <laughs> now he's invisible. We can't see him when he's coming. All of a sudden we're hit. And then we're pierced by the arrow. Oh, no. Right? Hmm? So there he is. This is He's invisible. Now he's going to try. He's pretty successful with the gods. In other words, he tried to distract Shiva, but... Shiva did something, but it only empowered him that much more, in a sense. 
So he, he goes to try to conquer Krishna, and of course he gets conquered entirely. Mm. So Madan Mohan, who Krishna's name is, who defeats Cupid. Mm. But he's defeated, this Krishna, by Radha's love. So what is that, then? That cannot be lost. Ordinary material life. That's something very extraordinary. This is Mahabhav. Hmm? Mahabhav Surupini. So she is Swarat. Hmm? He is not independent of her love. No. He's, he's one with her. He's defined by her love. Hmm? In, the, in the Rasa, Lili, when Krishna then left Radha, hmm? in the springtime Rasalila, Basant Rasalila, Krishna left Radha after leaving the other gopis. Right? And so, it's described anyway, that he then appeared before her, as four, tried to appear before her with four hands as Narayan to disguise himself. He could show the four hands to the other gopis. And they said, oh, Narayan, where is Krishna? Can you tell us where? He said, she, he went that way. Then when he tried to do it to Radha, he couldn't manifest the four arms. Her love is, is in other words, defining him. Hmm? He's defined by her. He's one with her love. He couldn't show the form. He couldn't, he had to remain in a form that corresponded entirely with her love. It was so powerful. So, Swarat, she is independent. Hmm? She is indirectly God, and indirect is, is more beautiful than, than direct, more charming. Hmm? Love works in that way. It doesn't go in a straight line. It goes like this, like a snake moves this way and that way. Hmm? So if we are to understand Krishna, we'll follow through the eyes of Radha as he dances under the influence of her love. The pen of Krishna's Kaviraj. Kaviraj Goswami in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Krishna said, Ami Shisha Guru Natta. Radhikar Prem Unmata. I am the Shisha. I am the disciple. Radha is the Guru. Ami Shisha Guru Natta. She is teaching. I am her pupil for dancing. Nietzsche said, you know, if there was a God, he'd be a dancer. We agree. He didn't, you know, follow, get that close to, to Bhagavatam. He, there is. Hmm? He's a dancer. And not only that, he's learning his dancing from Radha. Hmm? Natalara is another name for Krishna also. Hmm? The, the, the best dancer. Hmm? But hidden is the fact that he learned that somewhere, so to speak. And what, it, what it means is this, is that Brahman... As much as the Shakti is not manifest, the Brahman will be Brahman will be still. The more that the Shakti is manifest, the more the Brahman takes shape and moves. And that which is everywhere moves. That's far out. Brahman is everywhere, but it's moving. Hmm? This is Krishna then, under the influence of Radha. So he's not independent. Hmm? He doesn't have independence from her. Comparatively, she's independent. So... Janmadhyasyataha itarata cha arteshu abhigna and swarat. Cha arteshu means they put together they perform beautiful pastimes, abhigna, in which expertise of all the arts of love are uh, uh, manifest. Hmm? Hmm? 
And in that love, she becomes controlled by him. So she's Varat. Tene says, next line. Tene The Adikavi, he says, that is me, Vyas, speaking about the author of the verse. I'm the author of this verse. And I'm the original Kavi, the original poet, hmm, writing the texts and so forth. Tene Brahma. Hridaya, and in my heart, in Samadhi, this came to me, this infusion of Brahman, spiritual wisdom, about the Leela of Radha and Krishna, that came to me in my heart. Tene Brahma Hridaya Adi Muyanti Yatsuraya. And it's very extraordinary that all the other avatars are bewildered by it. Anantasesh is... is, is, is is bewildered by it. He thinks that Radha's love for Krishna is so extraordinary. Who can understand that? Tene Brahmahirdayadikavi muyanti yatsuraya. Muyanti masuraya means the gods are bewildered. It also means this thing that came in my heart, Vyas said, is so extraordinary that I'm writing about. That the god, Krishna, the supreme god, is bewildered by it. Hmm? Is the Radha's love? Hmm? He becomes muyanti yatsuraya. The primal God becomes bewildered. This he says is bewildering. Then tejo varimadam yatavinimayo. Tejo varimadam yatavinimayo. This is a very interesting line. Ostensibly, it speaks about the material world. Vinimayo means like ex- to change, like magic. Ex- Tejo varimadam yata. In this world, light becomes dark, dark becomes light, land becomes water, water becomes land. It means things are always changing, moving around. I went after, uh, you know, this beautiful guy. He was the light of my life, and he became like, you know, a cave dweller that I'm living with in the darkness. He became like a, a couch potato. And the light is gone. Hmm? What did they say? say? The, the, the thrill is gone. Hmm? So everything's changing. He was the light of my life. He turned into you know a huge problem for me. And it goes the other way around too. So things are always changing. Here you can't. This is the modes of nature. Satvarajas, tamas, in competition with one another. You can't get your feet on the ground. This is the ordinary meaning. Hmm? Of, the, of the words here. But here, it means, from this perspective, we're speaking about it from the Bhava of Jiva Goswami. Tejo varimadam yatavinimayo. In this Leela, what is primary in this Leela is Radha's love for Krishna, as is being explained. And, and Krishna in a Leela is trying to capture Radha by his flute playing. Krishna got his bamboo flute from Shiva, and so he began to play that, and he found it had very, had great powers. When he played it, he on one note he found land would turn into water, and water would stand still like land. In other words, stones would melt when he played it. He played another note, and water would stand still instead of flowing. He said, wow, that's pretty fascinating. Hmm? 
So I wanted, his whole objective in this was to try to capture Radha's love. It means, oh, he has the power to do anything. But he is, but he is perplexed by this. How to, how to secure Radha's love for him. He sees, I'm a connoisseur of love. The love that she has is so extraordinary. If I can be sure I have that. And of course, in romantic love, we're never sure. That's right? <laughs> so the Leela is per- perpetual then. It's sure. But the experience, you know, from outside we go, they love one another. What are they talking about? You know? But there's always some insecurity on the part of the lover and the beloved. So that, therefore, the Leela is perpetuating itself forever, forever. No, more and more nuances and uh, more and more stories and so forth. So Krishna playing the flute and in the Leela it does these things. And it turns night into day, day into night, water into land, land into water. Hmm? It's also saying here that in, in, in all this, in the effort to try to capture Radha's love, who's, who can also be understood, Tejo, who is the light hmm, of his life. Hmm? Um, and that love is causing so many transformations within him. Hmm? Um, Amrsha means like false. So um, it makes it makes what appears to be false real. What is real is is uh, is, is 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 false. Um, so Krishna's playing the flute and um, and in the context of playing it, trying to attack Krishna's uh, Radha's attention, oh, he's undergoing so many uh, uh, transformations. That love is so great. Trisargo Misha. Trisargo means three here. Sargo. Sri Goswami says there are three principal groups of gopis. Those that are friends of Radha, those that are friends of Radha and Krishna, they mix their affection, and those that are in opposition to Radha. It's all part of the Leela. And he says, all of them together, they cannot equal Radha's love. It's got Krishna so bewildered. Dhamma, Sena. She, she is the, the light hmm, of the Dham and and meditation upon her love for Krishna, nirasta kuhakam. That will end kuhakam, bewilderment of material life, comprehensively, forever. Therefore, satyam param, we should meditate upon that. Dimahi, love of Radha for Krishna. This is the idea. So this is an example, as I say of how they've drawn from the texts here, the first text of the Bhagavad Gita. Say, the book's all about Radha's love for Krishna. Just see. So, a few words about Sri Radha today. Sri Radha's to be Mahamutsu Titiki Jaya. Are there any questions? What is the time? 9.30. 9.30, Okay. So, maybe, you know, if there are no questions from there, then we can proceed to cook a big feast for...
in honor of Radha for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. There's one right there, I can see it. One of Rupa Goswami's dramas describes how Radha and Vishaka commit suicide. What is the meaning of that, Leela? Oh, it, it's a long, long story. We don't have time for that. Uh, from Vidagda Madhava. Hmm. Um, uh, they, they, they appear, it, 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 it mean, they appear in Dwaraka. Hmm. as Krishna's appearing in Dwarka for different leelas. Satyabhama, Radha appears as Satyabhama. Chandravali hmm. appears as, as Rukmini. And in the drama of Rupa Goswami, then the position of Radha in the Braj Leela is brought out through Satyabhama. And it's a whole very complex story. Next time I come to Madhavan, Hmm. Then we'll. Um, I had in mind to, to read with the devotees to Vidakta Madhava, so maybe we'll do that and there will be fully played out. Appreciate the question and your uh, depth of interest in all these subjects. So, even if there are questions, I do think we have to stop, we have to begin cooking. Shiradastami Mahotavit Kiti Ki Jai, Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai. Oh, pray, man, and